10 secrets of successful people. Three powerful secrets about success that no one tells you. And so on it goes. Uh, Richard St. John uh, interviewed a thousand successful people over 10 years to find the secret to success. And he found eight traits that these successful people have in common. Passion, work, focus, push, ideas, improve, serve, and persist. But we're here. And for many of you, uh, you call yourselves Christian. What does that mean? What does success mean for the Christian? Read your Bible, pray, go to church. At least that's what I hear from people. People measure their success or their maturity as a Christian based on how often they read their Bibles, how much time they spend in prayer, and what they do at church. Martin Luther, an influential figure in the Protestant Reformation, was asked one day about his plans for tomorrow. You might relate. Work, work from early till late. But then he says this. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. (laughs) I don't know how that makes you feel, but that just makes me feel like an utter failure. (laughs) In the midst of busyness, he gives three hours of his day to prayer. Bible reading, prayer, going to church, these are all necessary and helpful things. We call them spiritual disciplines. They're all helpful things, but they're just a small part of the picture when it comes to maturity, Christian maturity. And as we see here, Jesus doesn't measure maturity by religious activity, but rather in a faith that is lived out in relationship with God and people. Jesus calls his disciples to grow in gracious character, Dependent faith, humble service, and grateful worship. Now, I I want this church, I want this family to be a place where God's word is valued, where prayer is an expression of our dependent faith in God. But I also want this to be a home where we are discipled and encouraged and nurtured to grow in these things, in gracious character, dependent faith, humble service, and grateful worship. Last time we saw Jesus challenge his disciples to count the cost of following him. Or more specifically, to count the cost of life without him. And he continues to teach his disciples what it means to follow him. And in the earlier chapters, we read that God's love and mercy is seen as he reaches out to the lost that we should have a right perspective and relationship to wealth and what it means to live according to God's law. And as we move on in this gospel, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem where he will die and he will save the world from sin. Jesus, in these moments, teaches his disciples what it means to follow him each day. And as we go through these words, they should encourage us They should encourage us to pay attention to our character. 
They should cause us to ask God to increase our faith. We should recognize that we are unworthy servants. And before the Lord of life, we give praise and thanks to God for all that he's done for us in Jesus. Now, typically, I save the application for the end. But I want to share one application with you at the beginning. Uh, because it relates to reading and listening to God's Word. How do we do that? Whether you're reading your Bible uh, at home or with someone or listening to a sermon, how do you do that? Let me give you four things to look for and take note of anytime you're reading the Bible or listening to God's Word. First thing, what character of God do I need to grow in my life? So when you're reading the Bible, when you're listening to a message, what character of God do you need to grow in your life? Second, how does God help and equip me to do that? How does God help and equip me to do that, to live for Him? Third, who am I or what is my identity in Christ? And lastly, How should I respond to what God has done for me in Jesus? Now, there's all sorts of other questions you can ask, but that's a starting point. What character do I need to grow in? How does God help or equip me to do that? Who am I? What is my identity in Christ? And how do I respond? And so as we go through this passage, I hope that we see that growth and maturity is found in these things. Gracious character, dependent faith, humble service, and grateful worship. Now, if you think that's a lot to ask, you might be like, yeah, it's too much. Well, hear what Jesus says. Verse 1, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. See, Jesus expects that life for his disciples would be filled with obstacles and temptation especially from the influence and voices of the world. It's just part of life. Jesus doesn't say, avoid things that cause you to stumble. No, he says, there will be things that cause you to stumble. He doesn't condemn or judge people because they're suddenly facing a temptation or an obstacle in life. They will come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. While obstacles and temptations in life are unavoidable, followers of Jesus need to be careful that they are not the source of temptation and obstacles. We need to be careful of the example and the influence that we set for people around us. In fact, it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus is a gangster. (laughs) Don't go causing trouble or you'll find yourself at the bottom of the river. But seriously, though, Jesus warns his disciples of the seriousness of causing others to stumble, especially little ones. And not just kids, but those who are young in faith. 
Those who are little in the eyes of the world. Those who are forgotten and marginalized by society. Because they are the most vulnerable. And so we must be careful with our character. So watch yourselves, Jesus says. And so here's the first thing about spiritual growth and maturity. Character matters. Our character matters. The disciple of Jesus must be concerned with character. And maturity is reflected by the continued growth in character. And if you're not sure where to start, go to the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you've figured those out, come to me and I'll give you some more homework. But good luck. Character development also doesn't happen in isolation. One of the things that happened in lockdown were people who were sharing space together quickly understood where their weaknesses were. They quickly discovered how impatient they were because they were suddenly in the same room, in the same place, 24-7 with the same people. Character doesn't grow in isolation. It grows in community and relationship with other people. Because it's when there are other people there that your character is tested. And it's why just sitting in church isn't enough. It's why coming to church isn't enough. Because you don't really spend time with people. It's why we encourage people to be part of a life group. And even though it's, again, just a short amount of time, it's time that is spent sharing life together. And over time, hopefully where your character is tested, but also where your character is kept accountable. For if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And so you can only do this if you're in community. You can't be rebuked If you're not in community, you're not doing anything towards anyone. But if you hurt someone, if you're unkind to someone, if you've done something, if you've wronged someone, then in community, in relationship, and hopefully in a healthy, safe relationship, you can be rebuked. But the flip side is also then you are forgiven. But again, that only happens in community, in relationship with people. There's no one to forgive if you're on your own. And so in God's family, we strive to walk together, to live together, but also to grow together. Sharpening each other as iron sharpens iron. And when that iron causes a chip, then we forgive. And we forgive not just because we're good, nice people, because we're not. No, we forgive because we're forgiven. We forgive because God forgave us in Christ. And so character matters not just because it matters. No, character matters because God forgives us and calls us to be an example and an influence to the people around us. Now, I don't know if you've actually tried to do this, but changing and growing in character and forgiving people is hard. People are hard. Possibly as hard as uprooting a mulberry tree. 
The mulberry tree family is notorious for its root systems that just spreads. And for ignorant gardens and homeowners, it causes massive problems. Personal growth and forgiving people over and over and over and over, it it gets tiring. And the disciples are quick to respond as they understand this. Increase our faith. You may have heard the saying, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. You just try harder. You get tougher. You keep going. But that doesn't work. For the Christian, when the getting... When, when the going gets tough, just trying harder isn't the answer. At some point, that trying harder falls apart. And many of us know that. You can't just keep trying. It doesn't work. The solution is what the disciples do. Increase our faith. And fortunately, faith is not about trying harder. It is the gift of God. And so more Bible reading, more prayer, more church, more trying harder to be a good Christian won't get you anywhere. Without faith, you're just spinning your wheels in a ditch. You're not going to go anywhere. But with faith, even just a little faith, helps you gain traction and get out of the ditch. See, no one is beyond the help of God. And In faith, God can uproot the most stubborn mulberry tree. He can change the most hardened and most stubborn heart with just a little faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What do we hope for? We hope that God will never change. That he will always be compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We hope that he will never change. And because he never changes, we can have confidence. We can have faith. What do we want to see? We want to see God's promises and his purposes completed, fulfilled. The redemption and the salvation that is promised Through Jesus, for us and the world, we want to see that done. Because when that is done, there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there is no more war. But we don't see that. And so we need faith. Faith to be assured that God will do it. Assured that God will complete and bring to fruition His promises. That he has promised right from the beginning of time. That in the Garden of Eden, he promised he will crush the serpent. He will crush sin and death. And we want to see that done. And faith is assurance that he will do what we cannot see. And so faith is the confidence in God's character and assurance that he is working in this world, whether or not we see it. We just need a little bit of that to get ourselves going. What's the result, though? What's the point of all this? What's the fruit of maturity? Well, one of those results is humble service. 
I'm just doing my job. Now, Jesus illustrates this with an ancient reality, and it's a little bit exaggerated, but he makes the point. In ancient times, the line between a master and a servant was clear. The servant serves the master, not the other way around. When I go to my friend's cafe, we sit down and they'll ask the staff to make them coffee or make us coffee. Occasionally, they'll make coffee for the customers, but they won't tell their team to sit down and then go and make coffee for them, at least not on shift. might happen during a break. And even in our workplaces in Australia, where we're largely egalitarian and we strive for equality, there's still a clear line of expectations in the workplace. The junior graduate works for the senior partner, not the other way around. Now, the partner might take you out for lunch one day, might even pay for you. But they don't sit at your desk and do your work for you. Now, this isn't about authority and power. It's just the difference in relationship and roles in spheres of life. And for the Christian, for the disciple of Jesus, it's understanding that we are servants. Unworthy servants. But unworthy servants who have received God's compassion and grace in Jesus. See, in Jesus we have moved from death to life. We have come to Jesus. We have put our faith in Him, in what God has done and who He is. And so as unworthy servants, we're not trying to earn our freedom. We're not slaves. We are free in Christ. We're not trying to earn God's favour. We already have that. That is His grace. We're not trying to repay God for our freedom. We've been adopted as children in His family. And there's no need for us to seek affirmation, recognition, security or worth. Because they are ours in Christ. We're not slaves. In Jesus, we've been rescued from slavery. Rescued from slavery to sin and death. Moved into life in the household of God. And so we are unworthy servants. But we are unworthy servants of the King. Who is worthy of our praise. And praise and worship is the response of the disciple. As we're reminded of what God has done for us in Jesus, our response is one of grateful worship. As Jesus was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. These lepers, these little ones, followed the social guidelines, social distancing guidelines for lepers. And at a distance, they cry out to Jesus for mercy. And when Jesus sees them, his response might confuse us. Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priest. Why go to the temple and do that? See, in ancient societies, lepers weren't just required to socially distance themselves. They were permanently locked down and isolated from the rest of society. These little ones were outcasts. And these words of Jesus are words of healing and cleansing. 
They're words of promise. Because what he will do is restore them into community and relationship with people. See, in Jewish law, they were isolated until they were cleansed. And when they were cleansed, then they would go to the priest and show themselves. And so Jesus sends them to the priest, and it is along the way that they are cleansed. Yet only one of them understands this. Only one of them understands and has genuine faith to see what God has done for him. And seeing his unworthiness, how does he respond? Verse 15, he responds in praise in a loud voice. And he immediately returns to Jesus to thank him. Now this man wasn't just a mere leper, he was a Samaritan. He's a double outcast in Jewish society because of his ethnicity and his illness. And he sees the hand of God. He sees the healing hand of God and he responds in grateful worship. Now, I grew up in a church mostly made up of refugees. Uh, in, uh, back in that time, churches and Christians were able to sponsor refugees to come Uh, And so uh, the church I was a part of was a big part of that. They sponsored people to come uh, as refugees. Uh, And it was was special. Uh, We we had a special community there. But over the years, something happened. People just stopped coming. And the sad truth is we discovered that a number of people just used the church. They called themselves Christians to get sponsorship to get out to Australia. Once life was comfortable and their families were settled, they just stopped coming. Now, they weren't ungrateful. They were blessed and they gladly accepted it. But then they just went on their merry way. Only one of the lepers here, out of ten, recognized what God has done and responds in grateful worship. Now, this isn't a religious act. What Jesus had asked them to do was a religious act. It fulfilled the law of God. But this Samaritan not only had a religious act, he had an act that overflowed from his heart. One of gratitude Receiving the grace of God as an unworthy person. And he responds in praise and worship. And so I said at the beginning that maturity here involves four things. Gracious character. Dependent faith. Humble service. And grateful worship. What does that actually look like? Well, first, it's our attention to God, our relationship with God. And so our focus first has to start in relation to God. We need to know who God is and who we are because of what he has done. And that's what happens when we read the Bible. That's what happens when we listen to God's word. We are being reminded of who God is and who we are. 
in Christ. And so growing in maturity starts with your identity in Christ. And so when you read your Bible, you're not just doing it as an exercise. You're doing it to look for your identity. You are looking for what does God say about me? What does God say about himself? Because until you get that right, nothing else really falls into place. Character starts by understanding that we are forgiven by God and that we can forgive others. And so it starts by understanding who God is and who we are in Christ. Second of all, it's community. To grow in maturity requires community. Call that fellowship, call it whatever you like. But without community, you can't grow. And so you need to position yourself in community to grow. The disciples were surrounded by each other, and in time to come, they would be surrounded by the church. And it is only in that community that they would continue to be sharpened and grow as mature disciples of Jesus. And that hasn't changed. And so church is not just what we do here on a Sunday. It's what we do from Monday to Saturday and then what we do on Sunday. It's the interaction, it's the community, it's the relationship we share with each other to keep one another accountable, to keep going, how are you growing in Jesus? How are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? And so our conversation, which I admit is uncomfortable at times, But our conversations with each other, as we pursue Jesus, as we pursue maturity, are to keep pointing each other back to those characteristics. Now, you come here every week or you you, you read your Bible, you, you listen to a sermon or a Bible talk, and you just get hammered all the time with all these different things that you need to be growing in. Don't get overwhelmed by that. Focus on one thing. Focus on one thing. Whether you already know what you really need to work on or you just need to go, come to God and pray and go, God, where do I need to grow? Look, Read the fruit of the Spirit. There's not many there, but I can guarantee you, you won't get very far before you go, I need to grow in that. But pick one thing. I, I shared with some of you, Uh, Last year was my year for patience. Still working on it. Still got lots to work on. But I want to grow in gratitude. This year I really want to grow in gratitude. And so focus on one thing. Don't don't get caught up week after week going, oh, I need to do that. I need to do that. It's just too much. Focus on one thing. Whether that's a year, whether that's two years, whether that's your entire life, because you will not get there. until Jesus comes again. Focus on one thing. What is it that you need to grow in? And focus on that. And as you read the Word of God, as you hear the Word of God, as you are flooded with the Word of God, again, you're not being drowned out by that. You go, no, who is God? What has He had done for me? And who am I? And then in that, you can go, I can grow. So focus on one thing. Don't get overwhelmed by everything. But that needs to happen in fellowship. So when you know what you want to grow in, share that with someone, if not two or three people. 
so that they can keep you accountable, so they can watch you. Not to criticize and judge you, but they can go, hey, I'm seeing that you're growing in this area. Keep going. Let me encourage you. I'm seeing that you're being really grateful for the little things in life. Encourage each other. As you, but you can't do that if no one shares with you. See, this is the thing. You can't encourage people if you don't know what to encourage them in. So if you don't share, no one can encourage you. Again, it happens in community. What do you want to grow in? Share that with someone. Let them pray with you. And over time, see the grace of God working in you, day after day, week after week, month after month. Now, you might not see those little steps, but people around you will. And by the end of the year, they go, hey, you realize how much more patient you are? You realize how much more grateful you are? Now, there'll be other things for you to work on, so don't, don't get a big head about it. But focus. What is it that you want to grow in? And do that in community. Third, serve. Give. Invest in people. Don't worry about the church. The church will take care of itself. But give yourself to people. Serve people. Be concerned for people. And serve them. And we do that, again, because of who we are in Christ. Not only are we forgiven, not only are we shown immense grace, but we have this security, we have this affirmation, we have this identity that is secure. When our identity is firm in Christ, nothing shakes us. And we can give of ourselves freely to other people. And at the end of the day, we're just unworthy servants who have only done our duty. Now that word might cause you to pause. But see, this is not duty that is trying to repay something. This is not duty that is demanded because you're of an employment contract. No, this is duty that comes out of the grace that God has shown you. This is duty that has come out of the overwhelming gift of life that God has given you. Now, there is duty that can be misplaced. If you're feeling like you're serving in order to repay God, to earn His favour, to gain salvation or gain something from God. That doesn't work. But if you are so secure and fixated on who you are in Christ, what God has done for you on the cross, then that kind of duty is good and right. See, my kids at home will always be my kids. As much as I joke about kicking them out, they will always be my kids. They will always have a place in my home, as much as I want them to move out at 18. They will always belong, right? And when I ask them to do a chore, it's not to prove their worth as a child 
in my house, in my home. When I engage them in helping me with something, it's not to earn my favour. No, it's because they belong to my house, they belong to my family, that they take part in that. That is their duty. Because they belong to the family. And if you belong to the family of God, it is your duty, your good and right duty to serve because you belong to the family. You're not a slave that is earning your freedom. You are not a servant that is expected to serve the master endlessly. No, you are a child. You are a child of God in the household of God, in the kingdom of God. And so it is your good and right duty to serve because you belong to Christ. And lastly, our response is one of worship, grateful worship. And again, it's because of who God is and what he has done. And so each time we gather, whether that's here on a Sunday, whether that's in our homes, whether that's just in the food court over at Chermside having lunch together, we worship in gratitude and thanksgiving for what God has done. And so maturity is these things growing more and more in time. That might just be little things one by one. But over time, those things grow, just as a child grows into adulthood. And so Christian maturity is growing in all of these areas. Growing in character that is shaped by the grace of God. Being dependent in faith. Continuing to have our identity shaped by Christ. Serving in humility because we are blessed in Christ. And gratefully praising and worshipping God together because of who he is and what he has done on the cross. And so that's what we aim to do, to grow as disciples, to grow in maturity, moving people from death to life in Jesus, speaking the truth in love so that we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the life that is found in Jesus. And we pray that you will help us to continue to grow in that, to grow in faith, increase our faith, we ask, that we might know you, but also know who we are in you. Help us to grow in character, that we might continue to be more like the Lord Jesus. Help us as we recognize that we are unworthy of your grace to serve one another, to serve our world. And help us always to keep coming back to you, remembering and recognizing what you have done for us on the cross, that we might praise you with an overwhelming sense of gratitude. And so, Father, we ask that you continue to grow us 
to be more like the Lord Jesus as we seek to walk and follow him. And so again, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.